It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Phileas Club. This is episode number 29 for October, no, for September 2010. Hello everyone and welcome to the Fides Club. This is the show where we get people from around the world to have a giant uh, fireside chat from different countries. And that's why it is pretty cool. Uh, now the virtual fire chat is just Skype and the people are uh, me, Patrick, from France. And uh, as usual, Turkey from Saudi Arabia. How are you doing, Turkey? Yes, hi Patrick. I'm doing well. Uh, wow, you sound even more tired than usual. Oh, yeah. Dude, I only slept about, what, three or four hours last night, so I'm Working really hard. tired. Um, and we have a newcomer, uh, Omri. How, how do I pronounce your name in, in English? Is it Omri? Is that okay? Well, you should say it is Omri, but the English ah. is O-M-R-I. Right. So Omri. Is oh, that great. Better? Yes. I, I put a lot of uh, pride in, correct, in pronouncing things correctly, so I try. Um, if you didn't um, guess uh, it from his wonderful accent, uh, Omri is uh, from Israel. Yes, and from, yes, are, from are Israel, you but currently doing some research work in the U.S. Right. So uh, where are you currently? I don't even know. Currently, I'm in Israel because uh, my wife is giving uh, some job talks, academic job talk in Israel, trying to get back here. But uh, okay. usually we live in Berkeley, California okay. for the last three years. Excellent. Um, so thank you very much for being on the show. And uh, so this is a sort of a reduced cast. Usually I like to have uh, four people on the show, though we don't always manage. Uh, we had other people scheduled, but unfortunately uh, they had to cancel. So I think we're going to still make the best of it. Um, and we're sort of all from the Middle East, because for those who don't know, I was also I was born in uh, Lebanon. So it's sort of a Middle Eastern uh, centric show today. It's very cozy. I feel <laughs> at ease, not at all in the middle of a uh, giant conflict. Um, so we're going to uh, be... Are, are, are you from the same Middle East that we come from? <laughs> Probably not. So. <laughs> the Champs-Élysées. Uh, yes, East. exactly. <laughs> That's the Middle East of, of Paris, which is actually the west of Paris on the Champs-Élysées. <laughs> uh, um, so we are going to be talking about uh, uh, the peace talks from the Middle East a little bit later uh, in the show. But first, uh, I think there are a few other... Um, topics we could tackle. And the first one um, that I would like to uh, talk about is uh, North Korea and uh, Kim Jong-il preparing uh, to step down, basically. And the reason why I want to talk about that is because uh, Omri, just before the, the show started, sent me a, um, a, a link to a YouTube uh, video 
from uh, Christopher Hitchens, who's a very famous uh, British journalist, talking about North Co Korea and the trip that he made there. And uh, I have to say, I didn't realize how 1984-ish the situation is uh, in uh, North Korea. And so obviously, yes, it's, it, it, it's pretty common knowledge that it is, but hearing his description of the, the, the state of the country is quite um, uh, striking. So we will put the, the, the <coughs> link to that video in the show notes. But so, so wait, who's, who's, who's stepping down? Kim Jong-il. But he doesn't really stepping down because if you are... If he's you know getting ready politics, to die. I don't think yeah. he's stepping down. <laughs> well, in North Korea, when you die, you don't really leave office because his father, the great leader, Kim Il-sung, is still the head of state and he's dead for 50 years. So it's... Uh, Christopher Hitchens very eloquently said it's a uh, necrocracy. It's, uh, it's like undercity in World of Warcraft. It's, uh, <laughs> it's ruled by the dead. That, that's, yeah, that's one of the things that was uh, quite surprising. Basically, uh, Kim Jong-il, who, as you're saying, Turkey is so old, he's basically shriveling away. And that's why he's preparing his succession for um, uh, Kim Jong-un, I think, uh -huh. his son. He's not that old. Well, he's not, he's not, he's very sick. He's in his 60s, yeah, he's yeah. 64, yeah. And yeah. so what, what, uh, what uh, Christopher Hitchens was explaining was that he's the secretary of the Communist Party, but the actual head of state is his father, who's been dead for 15 years, which is sort of a, it, it shows how far the cult of the personality goes in uh, North Korea. I think but, they um, should just make him a god and turn it into a monarchy and be over with it. Well, it, it is already kind of like that. I mean, his uh, his he is described no, as yeah, this I'm sort of talking, miraculous. I'm talking, uh, I'm talking about making it official. Oh, well, it's half official. Right. Let's well, put it we, like that. we have monarchies here in the Arab world. For example, we have one in Syria, but they call it a republic. Right. We have one in <laughs> Egypt. Also, they call Possibly, it uh, yeah, very likely. Oh, yeah, very it, likely it, democracy in Egypt is going to be a monarchy, actually. Mm. <laughs> and also but, Jordan, which is a monarchy. But that is actual an actual monarchy, kind yeah. of. Um, but going back to North Korea, um, so we've been hearing a little bit about the succession, <coughs> say, stating as a sort of a matter of fact thing that uh, Kim Jong Il is prepared, probably because we don't actually know anything, but he's preparing to uh, give the power to get his son into <coughs> power, and they had this giant. Um, Congress of all the officials of the party getting together in um, uh, Pyongyang, I believe, um, and they they were just saying that the the son is probably going to be the one um, inheriting power in effect. Hey, Patrick, dude, can, can he become my father? Because I wouldn't <laughs> mind being a four star general <laughs> just like that. So that just sounds great. Well, you know, the thing that was uh, okay. I'm completely off base here, but. I'm, I'm sort of fantasizing. This kid, uh, Kim Jong-un, was educated in, um, in, in Switzerland. So he did receive a Western education. In your minds, what are the chances that he is actually a modern uh, person seeing his country die because they are all dying of famine and, and uh, they are all extremely poor, not to the point that they can't buy iPads, obviously, uh, did, did, to the point that they see, can't feed you, themselves. Did, did, did and you see the picture? 
He's fat. He's a fat Yeah, bastard. right. That's no, exactly what I was going to say. So, <laughs> okay. I think that he should is. answer the question. Well, <laughs> no, he, he's not going to starve himself. It's not. But what I'm saying is he, is he has a Western education. What are the chances that he actually sees his country in bad shape? He's waiting for his father to die. And then maybe he's going to take, not obviously not open up the country and say, wait, hey, let's be friends with America, but maybe go a Chinese route of capitalism and maybe open up a little bit and trying to modernize the country because he realizes that if, he do, if nothing is done, the country is going to, you know, collapse. Are th is this possible or am I just in fairy? In my land? opinion, I don't think that's possible. This is... Uh China took an entire group of people to change it, not a single person, and he cannot do that. There's too many generals and too many people and officials that he just can't just go and change whatever he wants. And that's why they, his father hired his his sister or his aunt, aunt into becoming a temporary leader until he becomes the new leader. Yeah, so. I have to agree. It's a slave yeah. state, and uh, yeah. if you can't give people a little bit of freedom, they'll. I don't think they know any better than that after so many years of uh, brainwashing. Well, certainly, yeah, certainly that's true. But what if you know it's the for the interest of the party that the country actually has, you know, the the there's only so much slaving away that they the the the, the officials of the party can do until there's no more slaves, you know. It, what if they realize that the way China did it actually made the party richer and them more powerful? What if uh, Kim Il-jong, uh, Kim, Il, uh, Kim Jong-un manages to get a coalition of the generals and of the officials and change things a little bit, you know? Okay, you, obviously you, the, know. You, you, well, you do know the final result, what would it be? Which nobody, no, none, none in North Korea officials wants it, which is joining South Korea and becoming one nation. If they oh, ever that's, start that's doing. like 200 years down, down well, no, it's, no, they, so. it's just, just like uh, Germany. As soon as they started doing something simple, opening up a little, suddenly the entire wall crashed. That's I have several, not, postdocs, several postdocs from my lab came from Korea, and it's, and it's a common belief there that uh, they're going to reunite fairly soon. Hmm. Well, I, I, hmm. okay, I'm not saying that they that would be impossible, but comparing it to Germany is very different because Germany had a whole support system that collapsed at that time. The, the, the Eastern Bloc collapsed at the same time. This is sort of, they are still, you know, they have the support of China, but look at things like that. If we had said 20 years ago, China is going to become a controlled capitalistic state, everyone would have laughed. No one would have believed it. Why can't North Korea stay a communist state that, you know, allows sort of minimal capitalistic interaction at, on some levels? Why well, couldn't because, that be possible? In, in my opinion, because Mao was too afraid to hire anybody to be uh, vice president or to be in his place when he leaves. So there was no one person to get taken charge and continue mm. with. So there were a lot of people that they had to compromise each other to get things moving. Well, we are very uh, <laughs> hard believers, but you never know. You know, we lived through the falling of the Berlin Wall and all the collapse of uh, East Europe and uh, the democratization of that region. That was thought.
impossible. Let, let, and plus, you know, you know, you know, we don't care about North Korea. Just let's as worry right now whether Japan and China are going to start a war. <laughs> well, <laughs> why? What's happening? I didn't. They want the, the metals for to make new cars and new computers, and China uh, doesn't allow exports of rare earth metals. This is one oh. problem that I heard of. And some shipping. Uh, I heard there was an incident with the uh, shipping vessels that uh, the Japanese uh, took oh, over. It's, yeah, it's yeah, it was a huge, huge. There's, uh, they are, there's an argument over an island that each country claims it's its own and uh, well there's been arguments between islands with no Japan, no th- no you know, this the- one yeah but this one was accelerated to to a very high point apparently because they uh, arrested some uh, chinese uh, fishermen on the uh, at, by the island the japanese and they arrested them and china wanted them back china even cut all high-level meetings Okay, I know that you're Mr. Party Pooper, Turkey, but do you actually <laughs> believe that China and, and Japan are going to engage in warfare? No. Let's hope not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just wanted to make that clear. You, you don't actually believe that. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, something else then. Let's go come back to, um, to Europe with that... Um, Sweden story electing uh, the far right to the parliament, which was pretty huge last week. Uh, we heard about it everywhere. And I think there even was uh, a few articles in uh, U.S. publications about the rise of the far right in um, in Europe. Uh, I think Newsweek made an article with Sarkozy on the on the cover, which for me it's, is very strange because Sarkozy is right wing, definitely. But far right is like fascist you know that very uh, very specific thing and Sarkozy doesn't get into that category I would say but uh, going back to Sweden it's not just Sweden by the way if you just heard the news there was an agreement in uh, in the Netherlands uh, that the right-wing party there uh, agree by by them agreeing for several concessions from the government allow the government to allowed the Netherlands to have a government and one of the agreement the, the right wing uh, got was uh, disallowing the burqa hmm. and, wait a second and, yeah, disallowing just, the burqa you mean forbidding the burqa forbid, yeah exactly and uh, halving the amount of uh, immigrants from uh, Arabic states or Islam states uh, half oh put it, cutting it in, in half you mean exactly wow Jeez. Hey, we've talked about this a million times at very, you know, uh, in very lengthy conversation. But just in a few words, what's your opinion about countries actually forbidding people to wear something as, for example, the burqa? Just so, you know. It's a hard question. You know, I, when I see a woman in a burqa, I don't think she actually wanted, especially in the hot weather in the Middle East. And to me and especially for my wife. It feels like an oppressive government. Mm. But uh, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to say that I like government saying their citizen mm. what they can wear. So, right. so I guess you're yeah, in the same uh, waters as the rest of us, I suppose. Um, okay, so yes, yeah, Sweden uh, and far right in Europe in general. Do you guys... You I know, have a lot to say about that. You know, governments have the right to 
to say who and who cannot get into the country. And government has a right also to, you know, to keep the fabric and the culture of the country mm. as, as it was. For example, France. When we think about France, we think about, you know, stinky cheese and, uh, <laughs> you know, arrogant uh, waiters. But, uh, you know, France is also Voltaire and all the rest of the great history. And now, when we think about France, we think about liberty, right? And, uh, and when you have 10% immigrants from a country that does not have democracy, you know, it understand, it's understandable why people can get argued by demagogue to, to hate them. And uh, there is some basis for, for that problem. Well, it, it, you know, the, the situation, as you're putting it, it is definitely there is a, a dormant feeling of, you know, that's the basis for any far right uh, power rising. There's a sentiment of not understanding the foreign elements and then a demagogue will base his, his um, will draw from that sentiment to get into power that happens every everywhere you know it, it's not the the first time that this happens but it is still quite surprising that it would happen in that clearly in Europe and it's not the first time as you were saying there's things happening in uh, in um, uh, the Netherlands but th there have been other incidents I mean even in France a few years ago the far right party arrived to the um, uh, second um, uh, turn of the elections in 2002 I believe um, but still every time it happens it is appalling and I want to make this quite clear in France, at least, everyone is very surprised and unhappy, to put it, you know, in a, in a very factual way, unhappy about that happening because it is Europe. So it does reflect not very well on us as Europeans. Um, so I'm also wondering, uh, Turkey, uh, from the Arabs' point of view, is that seen as, you know, a, a, a anti-Arab racist reaction? Or, you know, how do you guys report on it? Exactly. Anti-Islamic racist reaction. Right. That's, 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 that's the exact words people would use here. And uh, um, so I don't know, but a lot of people here are very sensitive and they do have a problem with that. And considering that also, if these movements are always based on anti-Islamic rhetoric, so... Uh, <clears throat> anti, or anti-Jew, you know, or anti-Jews. Um, no, they don't, they uh, don't discriminate yeah. so much. <laughs> there, well, there uh, is, you know, they, I would they, say... They, they talk, they talk, I, it's true. They, these people, they hate both Muslim, Muslims and Jews, although... They, they prefer not to talk about Jews as much as they love to talk about Muslims, mainly because I think the number of population, there's a, a smaller percentage of Jews than Muslims. That's definitely countries. true. Um, so th there is... and, 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 you know, the, all of these movements, all of these parties, they're based on what? Uh, Anti-Burga movement, ban, a ban, a ban, on, uh, a ban on the minarets of mosques and so mm. on. So it's, it's all based on these. These are their... Uh, agenda. So that's really gives a, a lot mm. of people in the Arab world, in the Islamic world, as a racist and anti-Islamic movement. Yeah. 
You know, but Patrick, much like the tea parties in America, some people like to paint a big brush and say that they are all crazy and right wings and nuts. And it's not always everybody's like that. You always have the fringe movements. But the, I think the, you'll find that a lot of people share the sentiment, at least. Mm. For example, democracy needs to protect itself from anti-democratic uh, forces. This is one thing. Or uh, there is many European and Western countries that if you want to immigrate, you have to show that you can learn the, the language and understand the values of the country. There's nothing wrong you about know, that. that. That makes me think of, um, of something uh, that happened during Ramadan in, uh, in Paris um, a, few, well, a, couple, a few weeks ago. Um, it, so the, the situation was there are some areas of Paris which are heavily uh, Muslim. Uh, populated. So in some areas of the city, especially to the north, for example, I'm sorry, uh, Omri, can you, you, when you touch the, the uh, microphone, it, uh, we can hear it. So oh, okay, sorry. It. Um, and on that uh, uh, specific occasion, in these areas, you know, people observe Ramadan and they're very, um, uh, 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 it, it's sort of, Ramadan is actually part of the social life of these areas and there were a few people um i think they were black i believe who were walking around and uh drinking uh in the street and they uh got attacked by other people because they thought that they were muslims that were not observing ramadan so to take the exact opposite opinion of what i uh said a few seconds ago because I'm sort of uh, very confrontational and I like to, uh, you know, get into the face of people who say something, anything. Um, I sort of understand also what Omri is saying, which is, let's imagine, for example, Turkey, that we had uh, a lot of, I don't know, um, Christians who would get into Saudi Arabia and who would do things that are contrary to Saudi culture. Well, obviously, it's sort of difficult to explain because obviously Saudi Arabia being an Islamic state, there are things that you cannot do. But can you understand that it's also, um, not can you understand, but do you see that if the, the, there is a growing population of people who are foreign to your culture, it can create some unease, which is then exploited by the far-right parties, but the unease is still there, and the answer to the unease is very difficult to, to find. Is that a fair assessment? Or do you still think, bullshit, it's racism? It depends on who you're asking. Are you asking uh, me, or are you asking my culture? <laughs> um, I don't know, actually. How about you give us both answers? Yeah, I, I think yeah, my culture would agree. Mm. I personally have no problem with it. Okay. <laughs> I have to tell so, you that they brought him upon themselves. I think uh, things like the caricature of Muhammad and the, the threat that yeah. happened in the Netherlands, you know, it's problematic. You ask countries to, to lose their First Amendment or the right to speech not to offend other people, you know. Mm. It's not acceptable, I think, you know, to lose freedoms, to appease hard-nosed religious you know this is exactly it's it's this is why these uh, issues are so difficult um, we sort of have a situation where we have a problem with a, no real solution because it's like the burqa 
the, the situation is difficult, but then what are you going to do? Are you going to forbid people from wearing the burqa? And in that case, it is actual offensive to people if you do that specific thing, specifically, you know, uh, drawing the, the, the profit. I can give you a very tough decision that I have to make pretty soon uh, mm. that will, I think, answer or make this question even more complex. So, for example, there is many African countries that uh, do circumcision for women. And we see it as a barbaric uh, costume, but uh, they might say it's part of the religion. And also, I, I, you know, my wife is pregnant, and we might have a boy, we still don't know. And we might need to do a circumcision, and we think, are we not the same as them? And mm. do our culture can look at what we're doing and say, hey, this is barbaric, what we're doing for a little kid. So, you know, it's a problem. When do you draw the line? When do you say your culture cannot yeah. do what, what well, the religion yeah, tells you? That's exactly the crux of the problem. Although in that specific case, I think, you know, circumcision is a hygienic, hygienic, uh, you know, procedure and, and excision. I don't know if that's the name in, in, in English. The female circumcision is actually a, a, an extremely, I would say, barbaric. You know, it deprives the woman. Of, it, for people who don't know, you, you no. cut off the clitoris, basically. Yeah, it, it results in a bodily harm. So it, exactly. it's one thing. If, you, if you're harming some person... Yeah. Uh, it doesn't really matter what religion you are, what your culture is. Whereas direct... circumcision is not really bodily harm. Yeah. It's yeah, it's a different. Yeah, it doesn't uh, yeah. harm at all. It's, it, it's just something different. Or but some I understand people also say cleaner or something. Yeah. But uh, and and we're talking about <clears throat> and there's also I, I think I mentioned this before on an ep- on the an episode of the Phyllis Club. But uh, the whole thing with the females, it's not even Islamic, even though many people think it's an Islamic thing. Mm. It's actually well, African. Yeah. Um, while we're on the topic, we could talk about this for a long time, but I just want to ask another question uh, related to what you were saying, Turkey, when you said we see this as um, you know, anti-Arab, anti-Islamic, anti-Islam uh, rise, anti-Islam mo- movement, which... There, I would definitely agree that there are bases for this. But do you see this as a general European anti-Islamic um, uh, uh, reaction? Or do you see it, not you specifically, but, you know, in Saudi Arabia, or do you see it as there are far-right movements, but not everyone thinks that uh, ext- to that extreme? Um, uh, it really depends on who you ask out of these people here. Jeez, in Saudi. if I had a if I had a penny no, every time you said, yeah, yeah. Well, I have to. <laughs> say no, but it's that true. Because, obviously, yeah. yes, I understand. Yeah, and because there there's t- different type of people. You have the people who are uh, some of them who are rely completely on TV. The people who never travel to Europe, who are somewhat religious and only hear the news on TV. And usually when you see it on TV, and that's every media, whether it's Arab media, European media, or U.S. media, they always exaggerate over everything. And when you hear it mm-hmm. through the media, you would think entire European countries and the entire population of Europe are being very anti-Islamic, and they just want to come and kill every Muslim they can find. Mm-hmm. So, I, have to say that, yeah, I have to say that some people in Israel, not me, but some people in Israel see this uh, with some sense of glee or... Now they understand what we're going through mm. about this situation. 
Uh, so yeah, so it depends on who you in who. So if you meet you know someone else who are usually a little more educated, maybe have been to Europe, they would see it in a different way. They would see it that there is this hatred coming up, but uh, growing in those countries. But it's not the pop, the general population. It's mm-hmm. a minority, but the minority that's have been doing so well that it's actually got a voice out that everybody can hear. Mm. You know, it's so to compare something that is absolutely not comparable. Uh, can we say that it's sort of like some people in Europe thinking that all Arabs are terrorists? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's just like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I guess that's fair. Um, hey, hey, you shouldn't be surprised. I met some Americans, and to be honest. I've met different type of Americans. I've met Americans that I actually enjoy talking to, who are educated, well, knowledge, and they ask good, the right questions. And I met Americans that would actually sit down and look at me and know when I'm from Saudi Arabia to ask me, do you have a, a, an oil well in your backyard? And they were honest <laughs> in that question. No, come on. They couldn't I have swear. Been. I swear. They I were serious. Yeah. They were I serious. Several Americans. Yeah. yeah. So They were d- serious. So or wait, asking me, do Turkey we own would... cars or do we use camels? <laughs> so, so what's the answer? <laughs> but um, Omri, okay, we're sort of veering off away from the uh, the, the the topics of the show itself. But um, do you have the same kind of? I don't know. Obviously, from being from Israel, maybe you get some a different reaction. But you're also from a, a country that, not the country, but the situation that the the country is in, is very heavily reported on in the US. Do you also get you were saying I also talked to Americans that I was surprised about. And they we don't have an American uh, host on the show, so they can defend themselves. So let's pile on uh, and and <laughs> accuse them of everything. But uh, no, seriously, do, would you have a comment on this uh, also? Yeah, sure. You know, also, uh, I need to drive every day to Stanford and back. It's a two hour. So I listen to a lot of podcasts and uh, radio. So I listen to both the left wing, like Democracy Now!, mm. and the right wing, like uh, Mark Levine on the Rush Limbo show. So you get uh, the nuts from both, uh, both sides of the table. And there are a lot of people in America which are just, un, you know, not, just not knowledgeable about the world. Uh, America is so, you know, United States is so big. And they, you know, so there are so many people that doesn't have any passport or never left their hometown. Mm. And they are more interested about the local news and uh, and sport than the world affairs. I think that after a few years in America, I was more knowledgeable about their politics than most of the American I talked to. <laughs> so you you are leading your daily life in America in Berkeley, which is one of the top uh, colleges in the U.S. What's the level of what you might make a few enemies here, but uh, or friends? We never know. Uh, what's, well, how would you assess the level of world knowledge in one of the top colleges in, in the U.S.? I'm sure, that, you know, they're super knowledgeable in math and physics and all that. What about, well, you know? The well, my, la- my lab mates in Stanford, um, it's a very varied uh, group of people. By the way, we only have one American. Our PI, our professor is from Germany, and we have a Turkish, a Korean, uh, um, You know, we have guys from all over the world. See, this is why why America, I'm not going to say better or worse. This is why America is different. Yeah, exactly. You know, when you talk about 
immigration law, I think that America should be held to a different standard because it's not like America is French and it's uh, the state of the French people or Israel for the Jewish people, if that's what you believe in. It's an immigrant country. Everybody came from somewhere. It's not the Irish country or the uh, American uh, um, Italian country or whatnot. It's, it's an immigrant country. And when they say we don't want immigrants, it's... First of all, it's not non-American, and it's very racist there because you know that they, it's like they took our job situation and like very mm. populist right wing, and you know I think not very American. Okay. It's different by that situation than any other place in the world. Yeah. I think. Now that that's I think that's fair. I'm sure some people would disagree, but uh, so yeah. But when when we're saying the world knowledge of your mates in uh, in Berkeley, maybe not your your you know lab yes. uh, friends because they're all from different parts of the world but well my 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 wife's friends from berkeley are very knowledgeable i think but not all of them you know it's 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 differ widely from where they came from and and it's it's a well-known fact in i think in america that uh, the coast the east and west coast are the most more educated parts and uh, there is what I called square land. If you fly over the Central America, you see all these squares of agricultural land, and yeah. and that's a you know whole different kind of forms over there. Mm. So I think they are very knowledgeable. But again, it depends who you talk to. I think we're in a in a bubble of academia there. So yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and that that's to be expected too. I was sort of hoping for something super controversial, like a story of some guy who was, uh, you know, fourth year and he didn't know where I don't know Mexico was or something. All right, <laughs> you, you 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 want something controversial? I'll give you a story. Okay. Yeah, we, we can and talk right. about the Middle East and then we can be very. <laughs> so the, the, this uh, this is my professor. He's an American professor. When I was in the states, he told me this that happened to him. He said one of his students at college came up to him, a girl, an American girl, and asked him this question, believe it or not. She was wondering whether she needed a passport to travel to Boston. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, I'm sure, you know, okay, to be fair, again, I'm sort of the uh, the con going against every the, what the last person said. So, Patrick, to Patrick, be fair... Look, look, look. There are no Americans on the show today. Let's just have fun and make fun of them as much <laughs> as we like. Nobody can defend them now. Come on. It's a chance someone, of a lifetime. Right. Fair someone enough. I was from Saudi Arabia and someone from Israel in the same show, and we all hate America. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I was going to say something about French people, but I'll, I'll keep it for next show. Let's... <laughs> instead go to um, Ecuador and the absolutely mind-blowing thing that happened uh, I think today or yesterday when was it um, yesterday 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 yeah um, so uh, someone wants to take it I'm speaking to yeah you. sure this is what happened when you cut uh, police officers uh, salary <laughs> you have to be very careful the police are just organized protection. You pay them for protection, and you have to be careful to pay them for the protection. <laughs> no? Nothing so, more than that. Yeah, but well, if you can explain what actually happened for people who don't, uh, who don't sure, know. Sure, like, like many other countries, uh, we have, uh, they have, I think, like many other European countries also, a debt, a debt problem. Sure. And the U.S. have the biggest debt problem, but they don't do anything about it. But uh, when you have this, this kind of debt, you have to cut spending. And uh, 
one way to cut spending is to cut the salaries in the public sector. And uh, both the police and the army got uh, a big uh, downgrade in their salary and they just uh, didn't take it, you know, didn't take it very kindly. So they, uh, I think they hurt the president and they took over, uh, I think, the airport and, and the president palace and... It was a big mess. It was, so from what I understand, maybe I got it wrong, uh, the president actually went to speak to a, a, peop a number of people doing a demonstration against yeah, these Yeah, he cuts. went out to and, public uh, where right. they were doing the demonstration. And he got hit by a can of... Um, uh, <coughs> tear gas. Tear gas, exactly. So he was then taken to the hospital that the police sort of... He, that he got... Not kidnapped, but he got uh, held hostage in the hospital by the police. But uh, the and last thing I heard about it, that uh, he got out and the police chair uh, resigned. And, uh, I yes, think obviously. I mean, you know, it's, this is not a, you know, sort of African country where you, you have uh, uh, coup after coup. Well, remember, South America uh, has a lot of... Uh, no, okay, yeah. sure, yes, I agree. It's but the same thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, yes, that's true, but... But I, Republic came from... Uh, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. Of course, but I mean, you have to admit that in Ecuador, this happening is still surprising. It, they were basically doing a strike that turned into a hostage situation of the president. It's not like they actually did a coup, which would have been understandable, kind of, because things, things happen, you know? But it was sort of their way of of doing a demonstration, of doing a strike. And we know something about strike, and we don't go that far, yeah. obviously. Well, it's when like, I look at the news yeah, from yeah, uh, it, France and the strike that you do only because they want to raise uh, retirement by two years, then I think <laughs> that you're close for rebellion also. Well, see, that's the thing. We do that. We get in the street. We yell. We stop working. When I say we, you know, it's French people in general. It's not that I did it. Yeah, and you burn uh, cars. <laughs> well, that's a different story. But um, <laughs> they, they, we do the proper demonstration, the proper strike. Mm. But the fact that you could, in, the, in that country, get the president in a room and keep him hostage, as, because you're unhappy of the, the, you know, the law that he enacted, is, I don't know, for me, even though I know that you know, it, the, okay. the South America is an okay. unstable region... It's there, still I have two points on this. Point number one, it's not him alone. It's the entire parliament signed that law. So of course. it's not his fault alone. The second thing, according to what all I read, whether I don't know whether it's true or not, apparently none of the people who are demonstrating, the police officers and policemen and women, actually read the law. They don't even know what it says. They just <laughs> heard that it's about them cutting their salaries. By the way, this is the strength of democracy because when the majority sign a law, you know, you know that you need to fight the majority. And uh, it's very hard for people. Well, and when, when, our, when our minority group, you know, go, you know, resent the law of the majority, you get into trouble like that. That's, uh, you know, talking about majority and democracy, that's something also that I sort of... Hmm. That I have a hard time with uh, French strikes. I have to say, Patrick, because do you really believe that uh, with the growing population, you know, people living longer and growing population, that you that you can continue, you know, stop working at sixty when Germany stopped work at sixty-seven, and you know, 
I don't understand so, why they are in the street, the French people. You know? So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a turkey here. Are you asking me or are, are you asking my countrymen? Well, I I talk I, I well I when you ask me stuff I'll try, I'm trying to uh, to answer my <laughs> opinions, but I I will also give you the opinion of my people or part okay. of my people as as best that I can, even so, if it's bad, if it is it looks bad. Sure. So the, the opinion of the French population, um, okay, I have to be very clear, of a part, a very vocal part of the French population, uh, their opinion is essentially, there, there were a few, okay, let's go back to the beginning. Uh, f the French government wants to pass a law that will, uh, in effect, uh, move the age of retirement from 60 to 62 in most cases. Um, and... People, a lot of people are unhappy about this because they don't want to work to 62. And uh, they all, what they are saying is this law has been re written too hastily and it doesn't take into account special cases. Things, for example, like a construction worker. A construction worker can't work on construction until he's 62. And there is also a lot of people who, who in effect, go to 67 instead of uh, 65. Today, the situation is 65, then it would be 67. So the, 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 the law doesn't take into account these special cases. And a, a lot of the demonstrators and the people who are on strike are giving sort of scattershot arguments about there is this special case and this and that and that problem. And the, everyone sort of kind of agrees that retirement age should be pushed. But then they hang on to these special cases to say the law was badly written and so it shouldn't, um, it shouldn't happen like this. And the problem is this fact has been known for many, many years. We have known that we needed to push the age of ret retirement for years, obviously. But the, no government has had the political courage of actually enacting it because they knew that it would be hugely unpopular and that it would put the whole country in, in the streets. Um, so that's, in a nutshell, the situation today. I personally think that the people going on strike are insane. It, there is no way that we can sustain the situation. And there are a lot of people who agree with me and who are very unhappy about what the people who are going on strike are thinking. And to link back to what, not thinking, but doing, and to link back to what you were saying uh, about democracy, we have a, an elected government. And... <coughs> We have elected the government. You know, democracy, I actually wrote an article uh, about this on my blog a while ago. Democracy is not pleasing everyone, is not let's make everyone happy. Democracy is let's try and make as many people as we can sort of happy. And <laughs> once you have the election, you elect the people who will decide for everyone. And even if you didn't vote for that person, then you have to accept that this is the you know, the decision of the majority. That's the principle of the uh, democracy. Now, of course, if there is something completely outrageous, you have to be able to express yourself. And that's one very important form of expression. And uh, it's, it then becomes arguable what is important enough that even though you, the, the government is democratically 
elected, you have the right to, you know, you, you are justified in going in the street and going on strike. And a lot of the people who are going on strike now see that law as the end of, you know, all is good, all that is good in France. So. I have to say several things about that. Uh, first of all, as a biologist, I have to say in ecology, if uh, the lion won't go and hunt, he will die of hunger. And uh, Wait, Robert what does Heinlein, that have to do with anything? You have to work to eat. And, uh, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Robert Heinlein said it very well. He said, Ton Staffel, which is there is no such thing as free lunch. And you know what? My PI, my professor in Israel, is 73 years old and he's working and he loves to work. And if you love what you do, You continue to work and enjoy it. And this is what you should do. You know, there are scientists moving to the U.S. from Europe because in Europe you have uh, a deadline that you can't work after. I think they take your lab yeah. away when you're 67 and they move to the U.S. just because they can stay and work longer. Yeah, I think you have to love what you do and want to work more. And, you know... I, so sorry, I'm interrupting you again. Just to to give yourself a, 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 give you a glimpse into the mind okay. of the French person. For a French person, life is slaving away until the age of retirement, where you can finally live. It's horrible. And a lot of it, it is. It is. But a lot of people see their work as that. And when you tell them we're pushing the age of retirement two more years, I had a lot of people actually tell me. You know, I've already worked for 25 years and, you know, or tell me some people have worked for, you know, 35 years and they finally see the goal of retirement arriving and you're pushing it away two years. It's horrible. You can't do the that. Nerve, It's inhumane. You know, the nerve. If they want to retire early, why don't they just get the money themselves and get enough <laughs> money not to work anymore? You know, it, they, they got such a nerve, you know. You like what you do. You will never want to stop doing what you love to do, right? I, I just, yes. you know, all the miserable people working in dead-end job, I, I really pity, pity them. But what, what do they think they can get the money? For, where do you think the money came, comes from? You know? Yeah, that's exactly the disconnect that allows that kind of intellectual fallacy to happen in France. People think that the government is this sort of separate entity that is there to provide for you. And that's what I think years and years of socialism did to the country. And again, I you know, I'm very much in favor of some aspects of socialism. It's incredibly appalling that some things are the way they are in the US. But still, That, you know, the, everything is not black and white. There are some good aspects and some bad aspects. And exactly. one of the bad aspects is that opinion, that view that the government is there to provide for you. And it's sort of this, as I was saying, separate bank that you can draw from. And people don't make the connection between the government and the fact that it's coming out of their own pockets. So there you go. It, That's how. And also, Omri, you're being sort of harsh on people who don't necessarily have a choice on what they do. Of course, you know, there's always a choice, you know, life, you can do anything you want if you put your mind to it, whatever. Some people are actually, you know, in situations that they don't completely have control over. And I, I, I would hate to be in a job that I hate, but some people don't necessarily have a choice. So that's also, you know, that well, there is a famous line that I pity the fools, but, uh, you know, <laughs> sure, I, I, I feel for them, you know, but Yeah, they have no, to understand. They have to understand what's going on in so many. If you look back to the past, in you know, throughout the revolution, and even you know, even two thousand, a thousand, and five hundred years ago, if you don't work, you just die of hunger. And 
and social security and the socialist uh, you know they have very good idea they want to protect the elderly and when all this law were enacted people didn't live to 62 that was the real truth not, not a lot of people got into retirement and today 62 you know my, my father is 60 and he's you know he's like an ox he's so healthy you know <laughs> yeah so. Uh, and, he, and he loves to work, you know. Amen. I agree. Uh, Turkey, anything to say about this? Except French people are crazy? <laughs> no, I just was going to say, couldn't you just start having more babies so you can solve the problem? Well, we, we have we, enough people in the world. Seven billion and growing. <laughs> we, we actually in France have one of the higher um, um, uh, ah, rates of making babies how's that called <laughs> yeah but isn't <laughs> it still it's still a shrinking population of youngsters i'm not sure and actually uh interestingly enough a lot of people believe that i'm not sure that's completely true but um a lot of people think that um our immigrant population is what is pushing the uh baby making rate god I, this is going to annoy me forever <laughs> uh in france up which is a complete blessing because the, the, the biggest rate. yeah the, the, there you go the fertility rate it this is a complete blessing because we need we are going to need babies i mean we m i personally i'm going to need babies for you know my retirement when i am actually too old to keep working so it's not yeah. sustainable though you know you can't you can't build a model i think the real problem of social security is the model that every year you have more people than the last year and it worked for the last 100 years when the population grew exponentially. But how, how far can you grow exponentially? You just can't. Well, you see the problem we have with uh, shrinking uh, oil reserve and coal reserve and all that, and, and water and all that problem. It's, it's overpopulation. You have to stabilize yeah. the population somehow. I think in you that need, spirit... You need a new model for that. I think in that spirit, the only truth that everyone is sort of knows in the back of their mind and doesn't really want to admit is that no matter what we do the you know we're not going to have enough money to pay for retirements period so if you are listening to this and you live in a relatively modern country you'd better start you know not counting on on social security you to pay for your retirement retirement you should start getting counting on, on yourself, yourself. exactly counting on yeah, yourself absolutely. which is a good thing you have to count on yourself yeah all right, let's move on to something so, else. So you don't want us to send you some of the babies we have here? Uh, <laughs> I would uh, receive them gladly and put them to work. Hey, we have a 50% of our population is under 21. Well, there you go. Send them to us. Well, you know, but we have to find work for them then. We, don't, we have like a 10% unemployment rate. Hmm. We'll find a solution. Let's, let's talk after the show. <laughs> um, uh, let's move on to a less uh, uh, happy topic. Are we good to go on the Middle East uh, peace negotiations? Sure. All right. Um, so, you know what? You guys are the uh, experts. Uh, we're going to do something interesting. Let's have Turkey describe the situation today and then have Omri describe the situation. And you guys you know, s describe it as, hmm, shall we do as it is described in your countries or as you think is objective? I think we should give our own idea and then what people in our country think. Yeah? What do you think, Turkey? Yeah, sure. All right. Uh, let's start with Omri and then we'll give Turkey the rebuttal uh, slash uh, anger 
uh, uh, answer. <laughs> well, I have to start by saying that uh, I contact Patrick because last show you talked about the Middle East uh, problem and uh, Turkey. I think he had the right uh, facts, but I think it was one-sided. And uh, this is why I Which, contact you and want to, sure, to give that's, you my, my that's side. That's definitely of- fair, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's also... Um, you know, since we didn't have a, a, a an Israeli on the show, it's it was difficult to get an Israeli point of view, which is why it's good that you're here. Yeah, and I'm happy that you invited me. So, the the problem with the Israeli Arab conflict is that you really have to start with a big bang to to explain the origin, and you know, you you, you can't really point on a on a date and say, okay, the problem starts here because. Uh, a regular discussion will start with, uh, okay, uh, where should we start? The Intifada, the Second Intifada, 73, 67, 54, 47. You know, you go back to, actually, you, cannot, you can go back to the Big Bang, you know, to, to describe this uh, situation. I can give you the consensus in Israel and the problems and what I think the diminishing uh, hopes for peace are and why is it so. So... I think the consensus in Israel is uh, is the still the, the basic consensus until this day is a two-state solution, plus minus the sixty-seven retreat back to the sixty-seven line. Uh, right, this is the the Israeli consensus, of course. Uh, right of return only for to the Palestinian state and not to the Israeli state. Um, Jerusalem, you know, this is a wall. This is you know, people know that East Jerusalem will belong to the uh, Palestinian state, but it's very hard politically to say that. But I think it's uh, it's they'll say that we got all Jerusalem and they'll get East Jerusalem without you know without it being uh, official or whatever. And the big settlement, uh, the big settlement uh, regions will stay in Israeli hand, but will give them the same amount of land in other places. I think that was the consensus. The, there is several problems with that consensus. First of all, it's eroding because it's not longer a two-state solution. It's currently a three or maybe four-state solution. You have one government in Gaza Street, uh, a rogue, uh, very religious, very hateful um, Hamas movement. And then you have the more moderate um, Abbas and the Fatah movement in the West Bank. And uh, also Jordan, which has a big... Uh, um, Palestinian majority that uh, might very easily become another Palestinian state. So it's very hot. And, you know, the problem is also the Gaza, the Gaza Strip and the West Bank doesn't have a land connection. So it's you can't really see a one state with, without uh, land okay, connection. But when you're saying three states, you're saying that there are different movements in the Palestinian, uh, you know, population it's no one is actually talking about three states you're you know it's this is not an actual volunt you know uh, no one actually wants to create three different states it's just that hamas and fatah are are so different that it's sort of difficult to put their opinions back together to negotiate that's what you're saying right yeah i think it's very easy to to sign some in the cold with fatah but I don't think we can sign the same accord with Hamas. It doesn't recognize us at all. So mm. that's a hurdle that I don't know how would, how you're going to, to change. And uh, there is many, many big, unmovable problems in the peace accord. And, the, and another problem is that 
Israel, this is the biggest problem of Israel, and I don't think uh, a lot of people are aware of the problem. People think our biggest problem is our Arab neighbors, but the biggest problem in Israel is a growing population of very religious, very uh, orthodox and right-wing uh, um, Israelis or Israeli Jews. And uh, that's So you mean a sort problem. of far-right, far uh, Israeli far-right kind of? Yeah, the problem is that the Israeli Orthodox religions, uh, they grow, the, the percentages in the population grow very rapidly. Currently, 25% of uh, the, first, the first year in, high, in, in elementary school are Orthodox religious Jews, and they are almost 90% plus very right-wing, very mm. right-wing. And it's, uh, it's kind of... Uh, so is that is that comparable problem. to is that uh, comparable to Hamas? And, and well, of course, in the other side, they are not as uh, well. The, the Orthodox Jews are not very uh, militaristic uh, bunch of people. Okay. They don't attend our. They, they don't join the army, and that's another problem we have with them. But uh, they'll. But. They are very right wing, and their population, the percentage of the population is growing. And I think the chance for peace is going down. Uh, this is one. This is one thing that uh, sh- you know shrinks the window to peace. I think. So essentially, this is kind of a little bit what we were saying last time, or, or at least what I was saying, which was with that government, which is kind of right wing, and with things like. Uh, you know, uh, stopping the ban on on, uh, on settlements. It makes the peace process very difficult to 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 uh, agree to because on one side you have um, Hamas, which is quite extreme and saying we do not want to make peace, and on the other side you have the right wing uh, in Israel who says we don't care about anything. We are going to keep expanding the settlements. Yeah, but which- I think if you look at Israel, first of all, we had peace with Lebanon. We had. Uh, sorry, we have peace with Jordan and with Egypt. We can't have peace with other countries. We also, mm-hmm. uh, Ariel Sharon removed all the settlements from the Gaza Bank. So it's, it, it can be done. And also, if you look at the West Bank, we have the wall of separation. And if you look at the wall, you see that, you know, it, it doesn't cover all the settlements. It covers some of the big, the large settlements uh, that are really on the green line, on the border. And I think that will be the de facto border very soon. And the right wing did not like to build the, the, the wall because it, it considered it as a future border. And I think mm. it became the de facto border. So they right? would like to go farther. Yeah, I th- no, I think that uh, the, the, the separation line will be a border. And you think that all the settlements that are not part of the, the wall, not part of the Israeli state will will be dismantled. I, I think right. it's very easily, I can see it very easily happening. I think the problem with settlement, for freezing settlement, I think it's a political problem and mostly it's uh, it's not about the settlement that's inside the wall of separation. I think most of it is the big uh, settlement that are smack in the middle or very close to the, the green line that, in, that are inside the wall or part of the Israeli state. It's not a 67 line uh, de facto, but um, part of the thing they talk about in the peace accord, I think, is uh, changing land. So we get the settlement, and they'll get the same amount of land somewhere else. So it mm. will still be a hundred percent withdrawal. But you know, we at least I wasn't saying that peace is completely impossible. 
I think we don't know what is even possible given what we've seen in the past uh, couple of decades. But with what I was saying was that with this government and what seems to be their intent in these sensitive uh, areas, it seems like I was saying peace is impossible. Is, is looks very difficult, and Turkey was maybe saying it's you know impossible. So we're not saying, at least I'm not saying peace is completely impossible, no matter what. You know, I think Netanyahu. Hello. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think that Netanyahu might be sincere. You know, he went to Washington and did a lot, at least a lot of noise of uh, wanting to make peace. Uh, he, he, well, you know, one can never know about politicians what they actually mean. I, I think most Israeli think, and, and again, he represents the major consensus in Israel. I think that Israel moved both to the right and to the left. This is something that uh, uh, Saudi said correctly, but not entirely understanding, Turkey, uh, Turkey, sorry, not entirely understanding the the situation here. People move to the right if you look at the party, you know, uh, structure, the the traditionally left-wing party, the Labour, is really shrinking and falling apart. But if you look at Kadima and even the even the Likud party, they accepted the tenets of the Labour Party, i.e., they they agree at least in in principle for two-state solution. Because you must understand the other. If if you don't have two-state solution, you have only two other options: one state for with equal rights, and then you lose what people say the Jewish. And again, it's not the Jewish as in religion. It's Jewish as in nationality. Right? It's, it's just like the French uh, uh, country sure. is just is the Jewish country. Uh, it's, a, it's a very important distinction. For I'm not I'm not religious, but I am uh, part of this Jewish country. Sure. So it, you can have one country for two people, but then you lose the the, the Jewish country, uh, or you can have some fascist, undemocratic country that denies right from a large segment of the population. So you have two bad, very bad, um, you have two very bad, uh, you know, solution. If, if you don't go to the two-state solution, this is what mm. you have. It's just two very bad uh, options. So what you're saying is basically everyone is agreeing now that they're going to have to go to a two-state solution and yeah, Israel, anything Israel is, else is unrealistic. So what what do the the extremist, you know, uh Jewish people think of that two-state solution? Are they also agreeing but they want a larger Israeli state or No, I think that again, the Israeli you have to understand it's it's based on a very tenuous uh, distinction between Jewish and democratic country. So mm. it's in our funding documents that Israel will be a Jewish and democratic country. And the people on the right take it more to the Jewish country. So they want it to be a Jewish country, but then you lose the democratic part. Mm. Or it could be totally democratic, but then it won't be Jewish. And I think the Zionist, which people made it a bad word, but it's not a bad word. The Zionist, the middle of the line people, wanted to be a, still wanted to be what it was for the last 50 years, 60 years, the Jewish and democratic. And that only, can only mean two-state solution. This is this is the basis for the consensus, and this is why I think it will happen somehow, somewhere, and even maybe soon. Okay, but there is big problems still. It, that's yes, an, an understatement. Um, Turkey, what's your assessment of what was just said, or do you think it's fair? Do you have uh, anything to add? I'm sure you do. Uh, 
I think uh, Ari is, uh, in general, has good points, but I think he also a little too optimistic in his views and a little too... Wow, Turkey uh, is more pessimistic than someone else on the show. That's a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> and he's also, I think, uh, he's giving an image that is uh, not as big as it should be when it comes to the way the extremist Jews are in Israel, the way they, the situation is. I think he's uh, making it a little too lighthearted, in my opinion. So what uh, would you say that, if you had to correct something, what, how would you... Uh, extremist it? Jews might not be um, militaristic, that's true, but they uh, have that view of uh, being militaristic when they uh, need it, and they don't need it at this moment. And I think some of their history proves that we had the shooting in, the, I think, was it the Abraham Mosque or something a few years ago. We also have the, I don't know what they call it in, in the Jewish religion, something like a fatwa from one of their religious leaders who wanted that all uh, Abbas, uh, president of uh, Palestine, to be murdered. It's Pulsa de Nora. Pulsa de Nora is the same as the... Pulsa de Nora. I'll say football. Okay, okay <laughs> but... It's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but yeah. isn't, that, isn't that sort of taking a very specific exception? No, I'm not, I'm not saying... I'm not saying I'm taking... As I said, I think overall he got good points and his okay. opinions are, are very well. But I, I think he, when we, he was talking about the extremist Jews, the, the ex extreme right-wing Jews, I think he was giving it a little being too lighthearted about describing them. That's okay. what I'm saying. So uh, you're, you're saying that they are actually more of a force of blocking everything than they are b b by various means. Yeah, they, they mm -hmm. are a bigger force of blocking. Uh, they do have... Uh, uh, they, they were strong enough that they actually have... The, po the foreign minister of Israel is one of them, yes, an extremist. Exactly. Which he's is, not a religious guy, but he's extremist. But yeah, but he's an extremist, and uh, I still would like to understand how would a, a, a country or a government hire a foreign minister who's an extremist to talk to other countries? So, well, I have to tell you, yeah, what why Israel will have peace in the end? Because I think the basis for Israel is that he, Israel is a way for the Jewish people to survive. That's all. I think that's the main basis for the Israeli country. And I don't think we could survive if we don't have two-state solution. We'll, we'll A, become non-democratic and we'll be isolated, or B, we'll become non-Jewish and we'll be destroyed. So people here will, will do whatever they can to survive. And that's the basis. The people came here. It's a Jewish state because this is a place where Jews can come from all over the world, wherever they prosecuted, if it was from the Holocaust or from uh, from uh, Africa or from anywhere else, from Iran, they can come here and they have at least one country where they are the majority, they are welcome, and they can live in peace. So they will do that in the end. So do you think, Turkey, that a two-state solution is actually, I, I want to say manageable, but that's not exactly the right word, would be accepted by the Arab countries in the, at some point, some form of two-state. I know there are you know, some details that would be eternally debated, but on the principle of two-state. Yeah, I did mention this in a formal, in the last podcast, or yeah, actually, some, one of the formal podcasts. There is an idea, I think, uh, one of the points uh, Israelis don't approve of 
of that idea. But Israel has not approved that idea, period, as the government, which that concept, which was presented by the Saudi government, Saudi king, which basically that Israel pulled back to the uh, 67 uh, border lines, uh, allowing the Palestinian state and so on. I think uh, the one thing they don't agree with Israelis, uh, the Arabs do request that Palestinians go back to their homes, uh, whether it's in the Palestinian side or the Israeli side. And the Israelis do disapprove of allowing those who left to come back, and the Israeli side at least. So yes. the concept, as a concept, yeah, the Arabs have said, we will, this is our solution. If Israel does this, we will have complete diplomatic relationships and peace. So, but, but the problem is, until now, none of the Israeli governments is willing to stand up and say out loud, yes, we are willing to go back to the 67 lines. They keep on, there are different reasons for uh, different situations. One of them is uh, the biggest one they're using against this thing is uh, the Jolan Heights where they think that that's a dangerous place for them to give up. So it's, it's a very complicated situation. True. I have to and tell you, the, the Golan Heights does not, uh, is not part of the Palestinian problem. It's more uh, the problem with uh, Syria. So it's a different... Yeah. It's a different uh, it's yeah, a different but it, but it will yeah. still be but, required but, for the 67 lines. Yeah, yeah, that we're talking about 67 lines, and that's the, the, the whole situation. Hmm. They want the 67 lines to be established and... Uh, Everything goes back would be to part the way. Yeah. And um, that will but, be part of it. And, uh, and, the only, and I think that one of the reasons is because that's what the UN recognizes as the state of Israel, mm. is whatever is in, uh, uh, at the 67 line. I have to say that the Arab was the one that did it to recognize the UN uh, two-state solution in 47 and tried to destroy the Israeli uh, state when it was just in announced. In 47 and, and, and several times after and that. So, yeah, you yeah. can always go back to history. And, you know, the, the Saudi proposal is, is uh, very good, but it's very recent. And up until the very last years, it was no way, you know, they will yeah, that's, never that's recognize the other thing. That's the the other thing I wanted to ask because it seems to me that the the accepting of the two state solution on both sides actually on the Arab side and on the the Israeli side it it seems like people are are okay with it have become okay with it recently am I mistaken in that assessment I think that in the last years this became the consent I think became the consensus but um, again the right of return is a big big hurdle I think no mm. Israeli government will ever accept having Palestinian back into Israel I think this is why we want to uh, this is why most people would like to have peace they want to have a border they want to have right. one country here and another country there they mm. don't want to that will never fly never in Israel mm. I don't think so So is there in that case um a a sort of false um, agreement. S people saying, I, I'm not sure, you know, maybe on both sides, people saying, sure, we can have a two-state solution if you give us one of your eyes, you know? And of course, <laughs> yeah. the other one is not going to agree. Is is that the case? Or I think do so. You... I, think, I think the consensus, both, both sides have a consensus and the consensus doesn't meet. Not yet. Mm. But you think it will at one point? I think it must. Yeah. Turkey, do you think it will at one point or never? Um, I don't think so. Um, okay. You know me. 
<laughs> I have a third. I have a third solution, though. It might not be a peace accord, but it might be just a way to live your life day after day. You know, this is what happened for the last few. The last few years, ever since the wall of separation was built, the amount of suicide bombing went down drastically. I don't think people feel it as when I was a teenage. That was a big deal. You couldn't go on the bus. You know, it was. It was. I think Dangerous. all of my generation was scalded by the. You know, by the suicide bombing and everything that happened, but. The last, the last few years, the last five years, were very peaceful, I think. Mm. And uh, people can live like that, you know. Uh, it's, it's not a peace accord, but, you know, people live, people have kids, people, you know. It's yeah. not a solution, but it's, you know, at least not, it's a bearable situation. Well, I guess the, the, the situation has been more or less bearable for, you know, periods of time since the creation of the state. So... It, that's where I become, you know, when I, when I hear this, which is, you know, definitely an accurate description, I sort of get, go back to that back and forth where I'm, I'm saying it could go on for 50 more years. Maybe, maybe it's going to stay like this for 50 more years where indeed the, the peace is going to be almost in reach at times and, and then a little bit farther away, but never is, nothing is actually going to happen. Who knows what will happen in 50 years if yeah. you believe Ray Quartzal will have a singularity by then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk about technology and almost the beginning of things like the singularity. Yay, um, technology. Yeah, technology. Oh, are, are we okay? Can we close the topic? Everyone has said their piece or yeah. lack of peace. Okay. Um, let's talk about... Uh, the beginning of the end for things that are not computers because uh, cybercrime is beginning to attack our infrastructure and nuclear plants. Yeah, And I I'm going to give that to, to Omri because he was very enthusiastic about uh, the Stuxnet. Oh, I should choose my words better. That might, it might make it seem like you're happy that Iran is getting attacked. Um, all right, um, you, you, okay. <laughs> that's absolutely not what you said. Uh, I, I didn't, but I, don't, I can't say it's a, you know it's a bad representation of what I'm feeling. You know, really, if the nuclear, if the nuclear facilities are being attacked by, uh, you know, not by bombs, but by more clever means, you know, nobody will cry over over that here. No, oh, I'm sure some people will. Oh, over here, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yes, that I understand. Um, so, can you explain the situation in very scientific terms? Sure. It seems like even it's more than a year ago, someone developed a very uh, complex and very interesting uh, uh, malware that infected many Windows operating system uh, PCs by using at least four formerly unknown zero-day exploits in, in Windows. Two of them are still unpatched and still open. And the thing about this malware is that it's, while, it's while it's infecting many different uh, computers, it seems to be only attacking Iran-based um, Siemens factory machinery. So Which is seems, basically... Yeah, the factories and the, the control of the nuclear in Bushar, facilities in Bushar. And, and it seems to work. I, I think the latest news from Iran that they can't uh, contain this uh, infection and they need to delay the opening of the nuclear uh, facility in Bushar at least for a few months. That's what they're saying right now. So 
it's a new wave of uh, you know cyber war. I don't think it's new. I think uh, you know it's been going on for several years, but it is definitely the most public uh, cyber warfare I've seen. Well, it's it's definitely surprising that it is actually so. Just to make things clear, the virus disables the computers that manage that uh, plant. It, they I don't, don't we know make. That. Uh, well, they, we don't exactly know what it does, maybe, but it doesn't make the plant explode. Oh, well. We don't know. How do you know it, that? Yeah, we don't know. Okay. <laughs> we don't know. But, you know, if you control a plant, you can just, uh, if you don't read the dials and uh, you might have pressure build up here or there, you might have some explosion. Okay. So it's actually something super concerning. It's not just, haha, the Ira Iranians are, have a problem in their nuclear plant and it doesn't work. It's more, holy crap, what's happening? Let's hope that thing doesn't explode. In Iran, yeah. Yes. So. Well, you know, if it explodes in Iran, I'm not certain the, the nuclear uh, cloud oh. is going to stay... Wow, going to save you know. anybody. Oh. I'm oh. sorry? Yeah, I'm but again, we saw Turkey? what happened in Chernobyl to Europe. So yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, in, when Chernobyl before? exploded, all of a sudden, you know, when it came over the cloud, came over, you know, at the French border, it's like it didn't have its pass passport. All the news was reporting everything's fine. The cloud just stopped. You know, it, it, <laughs> it, it, we're okay. We're fine. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to be flippant about it, uh, but of course, you know that the, the reactor is still not active. It's uh, the uh, yeah, nuclear right. roads are not inside yet, and I think it's more a delay game. And I think that it's definitely something controlled. Uh, and, how, and how do we know whether it's active or not? I don't think we know, but I think uh, <laughs> I think we suspect. We suspect. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a, at least a very interesting way to to conduct warfare, a very so, modern way. The one question that everyone's been asking is, who is behind that virus? And, of course, you know, a lot of people have been saying U.S. or Mossad or we don't really know. But the first two names that come up are CIA and Mossad. I don't uh, think it's an it's a intelligent operation. It might be part of the army. But I, what I think, you know. It's very hard to pinpoint who does what in a cyber attack. It might be a false flag. It might be you never know where it came from. So yeah, we don't. Know, but you know, let's you so can't let's, blame anyone. We have no basis for anything. So let's widely speculate and uh, just guess. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's always fun. <laughs> that's better than being a journalist. Okay, so I, I don't know. Actually, no one knows, obviously. And, and I want to make it clear that no one in France, you know, any journalist is saying. It might be Mossad or it might be the CIA. It's just me, as you know, when we try to look at people who might have a vested interest in putting, you know, the difficulties in the path of the Iranian um, uh, nuclear research. I have to say that reading Israeli press, uh, everybody seemed, at least in the Israeli press, to uh, assume that uh, Israel did it. Okay. It's very clear, you know, if you read the, the our press. The but press, you, again, yeah. but they they all said that we don't know. But uh, you know, behind they're the words, like, yeah. very gleeful. And, they're like wink, wink. Uh, we're yeah. so awesome. Okay, yeah, exactly. Something Turkey. Like what about uh, Saudi and Arab press? How are they taking it? Um, I don't think there was much coverage about it here. Okay. So. If you know, you know, Saudi Arabia just had a huge uh, arms deal with the U.S., I think $60 billion of uh, armament. 
and they are, I think, more worried about Iran than uh, we do. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't think I'll find. Uh, I think I'll find an ally in uh, Turkey on that front. You think what? Sorry, that I'll find uh, an ally in uh, Turkey on that front. And uh, sorry, I don't get it. An ally will be my ally. Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> the Possibly. enemy of my enemy is my friend. <laughs> We're all friends here. Um, okay, so Turkey uh, apparently doesn't care about uh, the virus that is going to kill us all. <laughs> well, if it kills us, it kills us. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Uh, worrying <laughs> about it won't solve it. Okay, fair enough. Um, okay, so let's just hope that this is not one of many... Because it's, it, for the moment, it's aimed at... Iranian facilities. Let's just hope it doesn't go into other facilities like, you know, ours. Hospitals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all I'm going to say is uh, how stupid is anybody to hook uh, computers that are linked to a nuclear uh, to the internet? Well, it's it's actually no, it's not linked to the it's internet. From what I understand, yeah, from what I understand, it's it goes through USB sticks, which <sighs> yeah, but how did they get the first person got it? Well, well, yeah, yeah. The first person is. who got it. Yeah, I agree. It, but yeah. you know, and plus, and and, he, and and as far as I know, I'm not sure whether this is true or not. But from what I remember, they don't even allow people to carry USB sticks into uh, such an environment because that's one of the things they worry about. Yeah, which if they do, then they shouldn't. But um, okay. Uh, uh, it seems that the uh, Iranian uh, um, uh, specialists are have been calling for the help of other specialists, security specialists, to solve that problem. And hopefully it hasn't done any real damage yet, and hopefully it won't. So let's hope. Um, all right. We're reaching sort of the, um, the end of the show. Do you guys have maybe, a, a, if you have another story you want to talk about, we can do it. If you don't, then we can... Uh, uh, close the show here, but sure. I think uh, maybe for next time, the midterm election in the U.S. is very is heating up, and uh, I think the people outside the U.S. doesn't listen to their at least uh, conservative talk radio does not understand how big the upset I think we're going to be this November for the Democratic Party, and I think that uh, a lot of people paint the Tea Parties and the conservative in a very big brush. They have several wings and i think uh, the tea party that uh, started as a very it's, it wasn't a very conservative uh, or very conservative and religious it was more uh, a libertarian uh, anti-spending uh, machine i think it you know it, it it people took it over from the right conservative wing of the republican party and mm. and things are very messy right now it's uh, it's a uh, heaven for demagogues right now in the us you could see it anywhere from glenn beck to the very you know very popular talk right wing talk radio and right wing television it's a mm. very interesting time there so you think that the the left is going to lose the election i think most likely they'll use they lose a majority in the house of uh, representatives Mm. Uh, I don't know. I don't think they lose the Senate. Also, I don't think the Republican will get, uh, you know, two, the two houses. And also, the Senate has some moderate Republican. There is not a lot of them left, but uh, there are yeah. still some moderate Republican in the Senate. So even if they get a majority, it won't be like a real conservative majority. 
especially now that the Tea Party or the hijacked Tea Party has elected very fringe people in their primaries in several states. So I think they shot themselves in the leg. And yeah, um, I think that there, we heard a little bit about this um, in France too, very briefly. But uh, the 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 Republican Party being very worried about the Tea Party actually sabotaging their chances by being so extreme. Yeah, but you know, the, the basis of the Tea Party, I, I don't think people outside the U.S. understand it. It's, they're not all crazies and, and you know, gun-crazed religious uh, rednecks. <laughs> Some of them are... Gun-crazed like, religious rednecks. That's yeah. a, an, an interesting image. <laughs> yeah, that's the show title. So, yes, so, most of them are... I, th I think it started more like a libertarian anti-spending because... The, the thing is in the U.S. that they are in real big trouble. I think it's a really, you can see a dying uh, emperor, you know, empire when, when you look at the U.S. They are in such a big debt problem. Mm. And I think the problem, the U.S. problem is, is mostly because of their success. They were, after World War II, they emerged as the only superpower and everybody accepted their money as a real money. It used to be gold that was money and now dollars are money and everybody is hoarding their money. So the, the average the average manufacturer in the U.S., you know, wh why should they manufacture when the other people in the world are just like the Indians that uh, give them land for their trinkets? So they send, the Americans send out their dollars, their artwork with a picture of the president, and the old people of the world send back their goods. And you can see it in the trade deficit of the U.S. It's almost $50 billion a month. So this is why the dollar is... the and, But if, if it were a real free market, the value of the dollar would be shooting down because you have both deficits that you might, you have to pay for. Well, every every country money. has a huge deficit. That's not just the U.S. Yeah, so it's a two two prong problem: deficit that you have to pay for by printing money and buying uh, the uh, the agach the um, the paper the uh, treasury notes of the, the central treasury that caused inflation in the u.s that reduced uh, the power of uh, the u.s dollar and also the trade deficit so they they import much more than they export and both of those have to, in the free market would have to mean that the u.s dollar value must go down and by and if the u.s dollar would go down the export will be cheaper for the rest of the world and then you'll have some balance But there is no balance because because China, Japan, even Israel in its small way, buy buy dollars to keep their own uh, currency uh, deflated, so they can export more. You know, they'll be easier to export to to. Mm, sure. And but the problem in China, it's uh, it's this is a really geopolitical geopolitical problem because if the Chinese will allow their uh, currency to go up as it, as it must because they already have like two trillion dollars then they have two problems first of all their population will have more purchasing power and then they'll be more free right they'll have more of course that's a problem for a communist country and and and, and b you have a reduction in export and you have a lot of new unemployed people and they already have a big problem with uh, people coming from the uh, agricultural land yeah. to the to the big city so They are afraid to do it, so we're in a big... It's a very interesting time right now where the wealth is going to the east and... Some I think you're painting, you're painting a darker picture than it actually is, but I definitely understand what you're saying. Yeah. So, so um, the... Oh, so. 
No, no, go ahead. No, I'm just saying this is, I think this is a basic, and, and again, the basis for the Tea Party was at least libertarian, you, you must cut the spending, but you, as you can see in France, it's very hard to cut spending and get uh, the public, you have to go until you have a debt crisis like Greece and maybe even Spain to start cutting your spending, yeah. because politicians always have easier time to spend than to cut. Yeah, that's definitely true. I. I think that the actual issue would be with lobbying and not with well it's also another factor but okay we've already I've already uh, ranted about lobbying way too much on that show so yeah ne next next episode you should have an american explaining the decline <laughs> of the american empire <laughs> that would be fun. Um, I'm not going to talk about uh, again about the um, issue with the Rome population, the gypsies in France. But basically, I would be, I don't think, very honest if I didn't, uh, I wouldn't be very honest if I didn't at least mention that EU, the EU uh, administrations are looking into the situation that I talked about last, uh, last month. And being very, very angry with France, and uh, the consensus is that France is being <clears throat> the gypsy, you know, gypsies and Jews. It smell of a very, <laughs> very dark past. I, th I think, yeah, the the Omri, you might have a very interesting uh, view on this because obviously the the it's it's uh, it reminds uh, everyone, and that's what's you know being talked about. When we uh, bring gypsies back to the outside of the frontiers, of the, you know, the borders of the country, people, you know, sort of have the, the thought coming immediately to their mind about um, not the Holocaust as the, 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 you know, World War II and the, the anyway, okay, this, is, this would in, launch us into a whole different topic. So let's not even go there. I just wanted to say that the topic is not forgotten at all in France and it's still being talked about in Europe on the highest levels, not in France's favor. So I'm not trying to, you know, not mention it by design. Um, and Turkey, do you have, you've been sort of quiet. Do you have one last story that you want to close the show with? You have the primer of that uh, option. Uh, no, nothing comes to mind. Damn it! You don't even <laughs> have something funny and horrible from, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia or hopeful, like, you know advances or okay no mm, no. i have to say that uh, if i'll be uh, invited again i have a great story about very exciting research on uh, synthetic biology and the very new future our ability to design and build a living creature from scratch it's very exciting it's very new and you know really? it might be very interesting for you for the next time can it, can yeah well, we, you're, you're sort of uh, wetting my appetite now I, I will have to know next time then I want to know if I can design it you know like uh, to do my bidding as I commend it yeah uh, that would you, be good always leave them with a teaser <laughs> excellent so next time um, so I guess that is indeed the end of the show. Uh, thank you so much to both of you for being on. And um, I hope that the, the um, uh, discussion was, hmm, how can I put it, can show people that you don't have, again, that's sort of the tenant of the, of the show. You don't necessarily have to agree to talk about stuff and to be civilized. And uh, I think that we sort of did that today. So uh, I think, I hope we are being sort of an example and a beacon to the world. Exactly. Yay, Patrick. 
<laughs> All right. So where can people uh, find more of your stuff on, on the web? Or, or, Omri, I don't even know if you have a uh, Twitter account or something. Yeah. Well, I have a Twitter account, uh, twitter.com slash Omri underscore Drory. And I, if you just Google my name, O-M-R-I-D-R-O-R-Y, Omri Drory, you'll find uh, my website and uh, a lot of uh, my publication in the, the field of uh, photosynthesis and uh, structural biology and hopefully soon <laughs> neuroscience. Excellent. Thank you. Um, Turkey. Well, you know where to find me. I'm on Twitter, which is twitter.com slash Saudi. Excellent. That's it? No. I'm following you. <laughs> no, cool. no, no. The, the, the website, I'm still working on it. So. Okay. I almost I... lost that domain. Really? Oh, yeah. You told yeah. me last time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, you'll let us know when it's uh, actually back up. Uh, I mean, back uh, up and uh, we can rush to it. Uh, thank you very much to both of you. And uh, we will be back in a month for another show. And if until then you want to find out more about me or what I do, you can go to patrickbeja.com or to twitter.com slash notpatrick or facebook.com slash notpatrick or, you know, you will find other links from there. Thanks, everyone, uh, again. And uh, we'll talk to you at the end of the month of October or early November. We'll see. Okay. Bye. You have to say bye. No, bye. we don't have to say <laughs> bye. Why do we have to say bye? Because it's like the happy and... All right. See you later, alligator. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Audio program so good, it's like you're there!